Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon, Stevens Creek Church. How are you guys doing today? What? You guys look amazing. Have you been working out? You look good. It is great to be here in God's house, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, and of course, our, our family at the South Augusta campus, we're thrilled that you guys are here in this series called Chosen. But to start off today, has there ever been a time in your life when you felt that you weren't chosen for something? You, you were overlooked or you were rejected? I think all of us have some of those moments. Maybe, you know, that job you really wanted, you got passed over and it went to somebody else. That promotion you thought you deserved, you didn't get. That person you really wanted to date, you know, they didn't feel the same way. That team you really wanted to be on, they they didn't feel like you were a fit for the roster, and we've all got those stinging moments when we wanted to feel chosen, but instead we felt rejected. And I've certainly had more than my share of those kinds of moments, and there are a lot of stories I could share, but, but one that stands out in my mind is from my freshman year of high school when I so desperately wanted to be on the baseball team. See, I had this dream as a kid that I was going to be a professional baseball player. Like, I was sure it was God's plan for me. I was going to do it. And once I was rich and famous, I mean, I was going to be like one of, the, one of the Christian guys. Whenever I hit a home run, I was going to do the double point to heaven. I mean, I was going to be one of those guys, giving God the glory. Um, but it didn't occur to me that it was maybe not his plan for my life. When I looked at what he'd actually equipped me to do, and the fact that I was short and slow and uncoordinated, chubby, and had poor eyesight didn't seem to factor in. I was still sure I was going to overcome all that. And then when ESPN did their documentary on me, it was going to be even more impressive because I'd overcome all of that. And I was going to make the team. So I went out freshman year. I was working hard. And on one day of tryouts, they had us running in the gym. And it, it was an old, old-time gymnasium. It was hot and humid and sticky and wooden bleachers. And we were running up and down the stairs for conditioning. But it was raining outside, so everybody was inside that day. The whole baseball team and the cheerleaders were practicing on the gym floor. So it was packed, and there were a lot of people to impress, the cheerleaders, the coaches. So I was running extra hard. And I wasn't in the best of shape, but I tried to make up for that in uh, enthusiasm and in effort. And so I was running harder than my body could keep up. And finally, it got to a point where I was right at center court, running from one side of the gym to the other, right in the most visible part of the whole gym where all the cheerleaders and all the coaches and everybody could see me when my body just froze. And like, I couldn't move. And all of a sudden I started sweating in weird ways. And I started strangely tasting what I'd had for lunch. Yeah, it was spaghetti day. It's not, not good. And not to get graphic, but it all came back. It all came back and the whole gym saw, and it was gross. And all the players, all the coaches, all the cheerleaders were like, that's so disgusting. And I'm trying to reclaim my dignity and clean myself up. And one of the coaches comes up and says, wow, you're you know, really pushing it hard today. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying, trying my best, sir. He said, now tell me your name again. And I thought, I've really made an impression. It's Dave Willis. You write that down. Be on your roster soon. He wrote it down all right. And the next day, I was cut. I was cut from the team. Can you believe that? So you know what I did? There was like all these sad, like, oh, this has turned into group therapy for me. This is what this is. 
Because the next year, you know what? I tried. I went out. I'm like, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We always apply verses like that to just like things we really want to do, even if God hadn't necessarily called it called us to it. But I was believing it. I was going to make it this year. And so I went out, worked hard, tried the next year. And you know what happened? I got cut again. Can you believe that? Twice. I know. Double rejection. But what I found then and what I've seen now through all different kinds of ups and downs of life is what feels like a rejection is usually God's protection. Those moments in life when a door is closed on us, it's usually God's way in his loving kindness to to provide redirection back toward the path he has for us. Because most of us, if you're like me, we're tempted not to really seek God's will for our life, but to just do what we want and then ask God to bless it. And that's kind of what I was doing. I was just, I'm going to do what I want and then ask God to bless it. But God had a different blessing in store, a different path in store. And so I'm thankful now, so thankful for every rejection and every closed door all along the way, because I can see now more clearly And until we get to heaven, we'll never see completely how he fit it all together, but it was all part of his plan. But in this series right now called Chosen, what we're studying in the book of 1 Peter is that God has chosen you. Maybe you feel rejection. Maybe you're in a season of rejection right now where you've gone through a a, a divorce or an abandonment or a lost job, and you're just feeling like, my goodness, I feel like I can't get my legs underneath me. And Jesus is coming alongside us through this whole book of the Bible and saying, I want you to remember who you are. And it's not tied up in your circumstances, it's not tied up in your disappointments, and it's also not tied up in your successes. It's tied up in the fact that God has called you by name, he's chosen you to adopt you into his family as a son or a daughter, and that is who you are. And until we see ourselves in light of what Jesus says about us, then our identity is always gonna be flawed. Our, 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 look, our view of the world and ourselves is always gonna be broken. We're in week two of this series. Pastor JT last week did a great job telling us about the the, the person of who Peter was. Peter, who wrote this book in the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is just a regular guy like us. He was was an uneducated guy. He was a guy that had worked hard and was a a, a blue-collar worker, a fisherman providing for his family, but he hadn't been chosen for a lot of big opportunities in his his lifetime. He hadn't excelled in school or or, or been super wealthy, or been this political power, or anything like that. He was a regular person. But then when Jesus came on the scene and called him by name, everything changed. As he started to follow Jesus and to see himself in light of what Jesus said about him, everything changed. And then Peter's telling us, and that same invitation from Jesus is available to you and me. Jesus is calling us by name as well. So the first chapter of 1 Peter that we looked at last week, it's, it's kind of setting that foundation and reminding us of who we are in Christ and what God has done for us. And then today we're gonna to look at 1 Peter chapter two. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be in that, that one chapter all day. And there's so much, so much rich truth for our lives in this chapter. And beginning in the very first verses of that chapter, Peter's telling us in light of who we are in Christ, how are we supposed to live? Because God's word is, is so practical. There's a lot of life that's kind of mysterious and frustrating when we can't figure out how it's supposed to look. But God wants life to have a lot of clarity in terms of the principles that should be guiding us. And so he's telling us what our lives should look like. He says, so in light of who you are, get rid of all evil behavior, be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So Peter's telling us this, 
this principle. If we're always feasting on the things of the world, we're never going to develop a hunger for the things of God. And if you pay attention, you'll realize your body starts to crave whatever it is that you feast on, whether it's healthy or it's unhealthy. And your mind and your soul are the same way. Like for me, I crave a lot of things that aren't good for me because I feast on them too much. So now when I drive by Krispy Kreme donuts and that hot now sign comes on, I'm like, Jesus, it's a sign from you. You want me to be happy. You want me to get a whole box, right? And in heaven, we can eat them and there are no calories. But right now, it's, it's too, I crave food that's not good for me. Now, I've got a relative that she's on the other side of the spectrum and she, she eats really clean and, you know, she's kind of snooty about it. In fact, she's the, that one relative that you, you never want to eat out with because there's nowhere you can go. It's like, hey, let's get pizza tonight. And she's like, oh my gosh, pizza. Do you know how many calories are in pizza? And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. You are the worst person to eat with. And one day she said something, and in my mind at the time, I thought that is the saddest thing I've ever heard because she was serious. She was like, I am so hungry right now. And do you know what I'm craving? I'm just so craving a giant plate of broccoli. And I said, what is wrong with you? Have you never had a steak? Have you never been to Chick-fil-A? Like, broccoli? I mean, at least bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, not the broccoli of life. He did not come to be your vegetable. Like, he wants you to eat some stuff that's actually tasty, but not... Truly, her cravings are probably much more in line with what they should be than mine. Like in this illustration, I'm the one whose cravings are probably off, but the illustration is to show whatever you feast on is what you're gonna crave, whether it's good or bad, not only in your food, but in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. And if we are in a world where we're always feasting on the things of the world, if we're just binging on the entertainment of the world and the news of the world and all of those things, then, and we're not making room for the things of God, then before long, our hearts and our minds are only gonna crave things that are essentially spiritual junk food. It's, it's not feeding our soul. And in fact, it's, it's, it's bringing about the wrong kinds of reactions within us. It's bringing about those things Peter said to avoid, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. We need, to, we need to redevelop a craving for what God wants to feed us, which is his truth. And if I, when I'm going through seasons of life, and I, I still do plenty where I no longer have a craving for God's word, or for spending time with him, or for doing those things that I know for certain based on his word that I'm called to do, then I have to step back and reevaluate, like, what am I really feeding my heart? Like, what am I putting into my ears and my eyes? And if, if it's a whole bunch of junk food, then I need to maybe take a break from all of that, and I, I need to recommit to feeding on God's word so that that hunger can redevelop and that craving can redevelop. Because it's not just about what we're putting into our mind and heart, but what's in our mind and heart it changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we interact with other people. So a few verses later, Peter's reminding us who we are so that we'll make those right choices. He says, but you're not like that anymore. You're not like those who are only wanting the things of the world. For you are chosen. There's that word again. You're a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Peter's reminding us, this is what God says about you. And you think, I don't feel chosen. I don't feel royal. I don't feel holy. 
And the Bible's telling us it doesn't matter how you feel. Like our world tells us that our feelings are most important, that your feelings are your God. Whatever makes you feel happy, do it. But if you, if you watch, your feelings can lead you to do some really destructive things. Like my feelings can lead me to be just selfish and destructive and, and all kinds of things that I know are not good, but if we're only following our feelings, then those feelings can get us into trouble. What we have to do instead is follow God's truth. And what faith really looks like in action is trusting God even when we feel like doing something else. It's choosing. It's, faith isn't some mystical feeling. It's really a simple choice, a daily choice to say, God, I'm gonna trust your word. I'm gonna trust what you say about me even when I'm feeling something different. And maybe my feelings will catch up eventually, but even if they don't, your truth is more important and more powerful than my feelings. And if my feelings don't line up with your truth, it's my feelings that are wrong. But the world says, no, your feelings can't be wrong. Just follow your truth, man. Whatever your truth is, that's true for you. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, like, and, and if you really dig deep enough, it's, it's, a, it's a shallow worldview and mindset, but that's what we're being spoon-fed. But God calls us to something so much better and so much richer. He's like, I am, Jesus said, I am the truth. So I wanna be your truth because I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the savior of the world. I'm calling you by name and saying, stop chasing after all those things that don't matter and just follow me. Follow me because you're chosen, you're holy, you're royal. But I don't feel chosen or holy or royal, but you are chosen by God by name. He's calling you, come follow me, you're my child. You're royal because you're already a child, a son or a daughter of the king once you put your faith in Christ. That means royalty doesn't have, they don't have anything on you. Meghan Markle's got nothing on you. Prince William's got nothing on you. You don't, you don't have to marry a prince to be royal or be born you know, in a certain family. You're already part of God's family, the Bible says. You're a son or a daughter of the king. You think, well, I'm not, I don't feel holy. The Bible says I'm holy. I don't feel holy. The Bible says you're holy. And holy's not perfect, by the way. Holy just means set apart. You're set apart for God's good works. That means even when you blow it, even when you sin, you're still holy. You just need to go to God with that sin, confess it, repent of it, and he'll get you back on the right track. You're not defined by what you've done in the past. You're defined by what Christ has done for you. And once we see ourselves in light of what Jesus says about us, everything changes. And Peter's writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a guy who's lived this because he had made a ton of mistakes in his past. Even as he was first following Jesus, even deep into his faith, he was still struggling with some of the, the junk from, from his upbringing and some of his personality and being a hothead and a fighter and a brawler and putting his foot in his mouth all the time. The night before Jesus got crucified, Peter got into a fight trying to defend Jesus' honor and cut off a guy's ear. Is that not the most redneck thing? You've, I mean, he cut off a dude's ear. And Jesus, just so patient, he's like, you know, Peter, you know, we've talked about cutting people's ears off. Like, I'm gonna heal this guy, but we've, we, need, we need to do better. And that kind of grace is available. So, so Peter was not a perfect dude. I don't make these stories up, by the way. You read the Bible, it's amazing what's actually in here. There's, there's some great stories because it's real people. So I wanna show you guys a clip of these real people. And this is from a show that ironically has the same name as the sermon series. It's from a, a show called The Chosen, which is the first multi-season multi series about the life of Jesus. And it's something you can watch for free. It's been this huge crowd, crowd-funded project that's reaching all over the world. And I wanna show you the clip of when Peter was first called. And at this point in the Gospels, in, in the Bible, the story that's being uh, acted out here, Peter was a fisherman. 
he was doing what he did every day. He was fishing. After a night of not catching any fish, you know, Jesus is there. He's not, Peter's not following Jesus at this point. He's aware of who Jesus is, is this kind of teacher on the scene. Um, and Jesus is like, you catch any fish? And Peter's like, no. And, and Jesus is telling him, well, try again. And, and at this, Peter's probably mad. He's probably thinking, you don't know anything about fishing. You're a teacher. I'm a fisherman. Why are you trying to teach me how to fish? But Jesus is using this moment to show Peter who he is, and it leads to the moment of Peter's conversion, that moment where Peter decides, yes, Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I'm gonna follow you with my life. So we're gonna watch this together. One bit of clarification before we do. In this part of the story, Peter's name is still Simon, because as Jesus often did, he changed Simon's name. He wants us to see ourselves in light of the new identity, and Peter means rock. He wanted Simon to see himself, not in terms of what the weaknesses of his past, but in terms of the strength of who God said he is. And Peter means rock, and he says, you're a rock, and I'm gonna build my church on you, and you're gonna follow me, and I'm gonna change your life. And so from that moment on, he was known as either Simon Peter or as Peter. Okay, all that being said, let's take a few minutes and watch this powerful scene from Scripture together. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. Come on. 
Brother, and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. scene and that really the whole show is so well done and you can watch it for free just by searching for the chosen and it's well worth watching brings scripture to life uh, in a brand new way those those scenes so peter had this moment of conversion of transformation where he understood who jesus is and in light of that chose to surrender his life to him and it's it's a moment a decision a calling and every single one of us have the same opportunity to do jesus later on in scripture right from that same moment use the, the miracle of all those fish to illustrate the point that you see you're a fisher right now catching fish. He said, but really what I'm calling you to do is to use those fisherman traits where you're out there seeking, but use it to catch people because people are what really matter to God. And yes, fishing is an honorable profession, but I'm calling you to something of eternal significance where you're a fisher of men and women, of people, letting them know of the good news that you found in me because it's good news that's available for everybody. And so what the Bible is telling us here and throughout scripture really is until we find our identity in Christ, we're gonna look for our purpose and our identity in the wrong things. So whose voice are we gonna listen to when it comes to telling us who we are? Because there are a bunch of voices out there that are trying to tell you who you are. But Jesus's is the one voice that counts. I wanna share a quick true story about the power of listening to the voices that really have your best interest at heart. So here's a story from a guy named Thomas Edison, who's considered to be probably the greatest inventor uh, in American history. All these light bulbs we have in here today are because of his inventions and his uh, pioneering of electricity. But back before he was a world famous inventor, when he was just a kid in school, here's a picture, kid in school. Um, aren't you glad that they don't give ruffles to little boys' necklines anymore? Just as a side note, I'm so thankful that went out of style. Uh, but that's not what this is about. So when he was a kid in school, um, he came home from school one day and he told his mom, mom, I feel like the teacher doesn't like me. She's always frustrated with me. And she gave me this letter and she said, I had to give it to you. And so he gives this letter to his mom and she reads it and she starts crying. And he says, mom, what's the letter say? And she said, it says your son Thomas is the most gifted and brilliant student we've ever seen. And because he's so advanced, we can't keep up with him at this school and he's gonna have to be taught at home. She said, so buddy, I'm gonna be teaching you at home for a while. And she did, she spent the next few years 
training him and equipping him. And then he went back to, back to school a few years later and really, really excelled in some of the most advanced schools in the world. But later in life, after his mom died, Thomas Edison went back home and he was clearing out her things and he was just, you know, making final arrangements and taking care of stuff at his mom's house. And he found her desk and in her desk, he found that letter that she had read to him when he was a little boy. And he'd never read it himself. And so he pulled out that letter and he opened it up and he was shocked by the words that were actually on it because the letter that his teacher had sent home that day had a very different message than the message his mom had given to him. The letter said, Mrs. Edison, your son is mentally deficient. And because of his lack of intelligence and slowness, he's holding up the class and we're not gonna be able to teach him here anymore. You're gonna have to teach him at home. His mother, protecting him from those words, which she knew in her heart to be untrue, told Thomas the vision that she had for his life. And he believed that voice, and he went on to do great things. You see, there's such power in the words we speak to others. There's such power in the words that are spoken to us. And maybe you're here today, and there was a time in your childhood where somebody spoke the wrong kind of message to you. You had a, a teacher or a coach or a parent or a step-parent or somebody in a position of authority over your life, someone that you were taught to trust, and they said, you're a failure, you're never gonna amount to anything. They said these negative things about you. And they seemed so real and so true, and they stung so deeply, and even now, many decades later, they can still sting so deeply. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, they were wrong. They're not the ones who made you. They don't see into your heart and to your soul. I'm the one who made you, let me tell you who you are. You are chosen. You're brilliant. I created you to, to shine. I created you with such specific purpose. There's never been or nor will there ever be another exactly like you. And so don't let those wrong voices hold you back. Man, the voices, those voices can mean so much, especially in childhood. But listen, since, since I showed an embarrassing ruffle picture of Thomas Edison, I thought I would share an embarrassing picture from my own childhood, just to be fair, I didn't have the ruffles, but for some reason, my parents, mom and dad, I love you, they spoke words of love and kindness to me, but for some reason, mom and dad, why? Why the haircut? Why did you choose the one haircut that could even more accentuate the abnormally disproportionate size of my forehead? Why was social services not involved in stopping this? See, some of you are looking now, you're like, I never noticed it. His forehead is big. It's disproportionately large. That's not what the sermon's about. I just want to point out, though, that God brings good out of it because I, not to brag, but I was part of inspiring a very famous cartoon character. So you maybe have seen this movie that wouldn't have been possible without me. So there you go. It's so dumb. That's my worst joke of the sermon. It was born because my six-year-old this week said, Dad, you've really got a big head. And I'm like, you know, I do. I can work with that. So anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but my adult ADHD gets the best of me sometimes, and I throw in a uh, forehead joke. So that's where we are. Back to the scripture. <laughs> so Peter has more to tell us in this chapter. Skipping down to verse, two, uh, verse 11, he wants us to see ourselves in light of the temporary nature of the world that we're in and the eternal nature of what God's called us to. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live among, properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, 
They will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. Peter says, you're, you're temporary residents right now. You know, our world, HGTV, they teach us to use words like forever home. I'm in my forever home to describe where we live. You're not in your forever home. You know, someday they are gonna wheel you out of it. Um, maybe you'll be alive, maybe you're not, but you're either gonna wheel you out of it and it's gonna be somebody else's home. And your forever home is with God. Like, that's your forever home. You know, Jesus said, I've prepared a place for you. Like, that's where we're gonna be forever, and we've gotta live in light of that, that whether, even if you live 100 years in this life, it's a short life in light of eternity. But what we do, here's the principle, this life is short, but what we do in this life has eternal significance. Every encounter we have, every interaction, every choice that we make, it has eternal significance. And so we can't be flippant. We've gotta be intentional to say, Lord, this job I'm in right now, this assignment I'm in, it's temporary, all of it's temporary. This struggle I'm going through, it's temporary, but help me make decisions that are gonna have the right eternal significance by the way that I'm choosing to respond with faith and I'm choosing to give you glory in what's going on. A few verses later, he continues this thought about how we should treat others now. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you're free, but you're still God's slaves or God's servants, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Instead, respect everybody and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. He, he's writing in a time when Christians all over the Roman Empire are going through terrible persecution. You know, they're going through all kinds of stuff. You know, they're being you know, imprisoned. They're having their rights and their property stripped away. Nero, who was the most evil emperor in the history of Rome, was in charge at the time, and he hated Christians. And for sport, he would feed them to lions in the middle of the Colosseum just so people could watch and be entertained. So Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are really living in some terrible times, but he's saying, listen, I want you to rise above the circumstances that you're living in, these temporary circumstances, because God who's already conquered all things and, and has all authority, he's gonna set all things right one day, but in the meantime, right now in this broken world, we need to live differently than the people around us. Not differently in that we're trying to look down on them like, hey, we're better than you, but differently in that we're not tied to all of the things that they're tied to. So that when the people in your job look at you and they could say, man, we've got the same bad boss, but for some reason, it just doesn't get under your skin as much as it does me. Or we live in the same broken world, you know, you see the same news on TV I see, but you seem to have more peace than I have. What is that? Like you show respect to people even if they're disrespectful to you. Like, don't you realize they don't like you? And you're like, no, I, I get that they don't like me, but it isn't about me. Like, I show respect to people, even when they're disrespectful to me, not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of my character. And even more importantly, as a reflection of God's character, because I wanna show them a little bit of who God is, because God was kind to me when I was very unkind to him. God was forgiving to me when I was in complete rebellion. And then he, he saved me through no merit of my own, and now he wants me to reflect that same grace and goodness to other people in this world because he wants to do the same thing for them. He wants to set them free from all of the things that are holding them back. He wants to give them that same peace. And we're, we're God's ambassadors on earth to, to show people who he is just through our, our simple lives. So here's the principle. How we treat other people is one of the clearest indicators of what we actually believe about God. Have you ever met a mean person who says they're a Christian 
And you just want to tell them, like, could you not tell people you're a Christian or stop being mean? Because what you're doing is you're actually spreading a false gospel with your life. And not that we don't all have moments of grumpiness and all have moments where, you know, we get cut off in traffic and saying a a pleasant prayer for that person isn't our first instinct. You know, we have those moments, all of us. But as a whole, we we need to be people who say, Lord, even in a world where I'm feeling unfairly treated, help me to respond in grace. Every religion in the world says, love your family, love your friends. Jesus comes along and says, yeah, love your family and your friends, but guess what? I want you to love your enemies too. Nobody in history had said that before Jesus. It was revolutionary. He said, I want you to love them. Your kindness might be the very thing that, that brings them to the Lord. So show love, show respect, even when it's not reciprocated, because that's what God has done for us. Peter wraps up this chapter by saying, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor never deceived anybody. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Those two simple words, but now, to me, like leap off the page as as the most powerful words in in Peter's whole letter. It's, but now, it, it represents that turning point for all of us. You were lost, as all of us were, but now in Christ you're found. You, you were headed nowhere, but now in Christ you have direction. You were just consumed with sin and anger and rebellion, but now in Christ you've been set free and you're chosen and you can see yourself in light of what he says about you. You were carrying all that shame and all that baggage, but now you can let it down because Jesus has already paid the price for it. But now changes everything. And in just a minute when we pray, I wanna pray for those who haven't yet had that but now moment. They haven't yet come to Jesus the way that Peter did and the way that every follower of Christ must to, to say, it isn't just my parents' faith anymore. It isn't just a cultural faith anymore. I'm choosing with my life to say yes to you, Jesus. You be the leader of my life, the savior of my soul, forgiver of my sins. I take responsibility for what I've done, the rebellion I've done against you, the, the times I've tried to do things my own way instead of your way. And today I... I surrender all that to you and I say, Lord, whatever you want from my life, it's yours. I wanna follow you. And that's the moment everything changes. Maybe on the surface, things still look the same, but there's been a change inside of you that has eternal significance. Peter lived out the rest of his life and not much long after writing these words, he ended up giving his life as a martyr because of the cause of Christ. He had high highs and low lows along the way. There were times he was treated like a rock star because he was so close to Jesus. There were times that he was beaten and imprisoned and treated unjustly. But in the high moments and the low moments, he didn't let the high moments go to his head and he didn't let the low moments bring him down too much because he recognized this is all temporary and it's all for God's glory and I already have everything in Jesus. So what can this world really give to me and what can this world really take from me? And we're called to have that same perspective. History teaches us, and the Bible tells us, Peter was the only other Christian, other than Jesus himself, who was killed by crucifixion. All those other apostles were still killed in all kinds of brutal ways, but 
Crucifixion was reserved as the worst way to die, the most torturous way to die. And as he was about to be crucified, Peter made one request of his executioners. And he didn't threaten them. He didn't say, my attorney is gonna bring a religious discrimination suit against you that's gonna blow your mind. He didn't do any of that. But in a moment of just humility, he humbly asked the men who were about to kill him. He said, could you do one thing? He said, you see, my savior died on a cross and I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to die in the same way that he did. So if it's not too much trouble, would you execute me upside down? It's a request they'd never had, but they actually did it. So they hung Peter on a cross upside down so that he would not die in the same manner that Jesus died because he felt so unworthy to do it. And even in horrible, agonizing pain, he died with peace, looking forward to seeing his, fa- his Savior's face once again, face to face, and knowing that he had fought the good fight and he had finished the race and he had kept the faith. And for most of us, we're not gonna be crucified because of our faith. We're not gonna face the kinds of persecutions that those early followers did. But all of us are gonna have struggles in this life. All of us are gonna have troubles. All of us are gonna face injustices. But for all of us, Jesus, Jesus is bigger. And so as we close out and as I pray for you, my prayers are gonna be really for two groups of people. Again, that one group that today's the day you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And for the other group, maybe the bigger group, it's for those of us who felt so weighed down by the stresses and struggles of life. Like we've already said yes to Jesus at some point in the past, but today, We're just not feeling it. We're feeling so beat up. We're feeling confused or lost or discouraged or whatever it might be. That today we bring those broken hearts and broken feelings to Jesus and say, listen, Lord, I I know you're bigger than all of this. And I'm recommitting today to seeing myself in light of what you say about me. Not in my circumstances, not in my doubts, not in my feelings, but Jesus, I'm choosing again today to trust you. You, because you say I'm chosen, you say I'm yours. And I know that you never, you're, you're never wrong. And I'm gonna live my life accordingly because of my identity that's in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you call us by name. We thank you, God, that you forgive us of our sins because of what you did on the cross. You paid the price, you took the penalty, you conquered death, hell, and the grave when you rose from the dead. And you say that same power is available to us once we put our faith and hope in you. And Lord, for anyone here today that has not yet made that decision, they've never fully, truly, personally surrendered their life to you. Let today be the day here in this room and watching online that in their own hearts and minds, they they whisper a simple prayer that says, Jesus, save me today. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my past, present, and future and my eternity. Make me into the person I was meant to be and help me live my life, the life you've called me to. And not anybody other's anybody else's plan for my life but yours, Lord. I want you. And for all of us today, those of us who are feeling discouraged or beat up or confused, let today be the day we just say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you all over again. Hold me right now in this chaos that I'm feeling. Give me your peace and your strength. I know that you're with me. I'm choosing to trust that your words and your promises are true and help me to live out faithfully all that you've called me to do. Lord, we love you. We're so humbled by you and we thank you for choosing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.